focus on headline. And let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, uh, joining us in the studio, we have our usual Tuesday reporters in Kwanzaa and Chejihi. Guys, welcome back. Hello and happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> happy, happy Valentine's Day, guys. You guys are very dressed, very un, <laughs> un-Valentine's Day-like. Uh, opposite ends here, but uh, uh, what is it? She did bring like a candy store with her uh, today. <laughs> bunch store. of entire candy store with us. We do appreciate that, uh, guys. Let's start things off on the diplomatic front. As South Korea, the U.S. and Japan getting together for trilateral talks in Washington on Monday, uh, during which they reaffirmed their stance against uh, threats from North Korea and other matters. So, you're going to start us off. Uh, what did they discuss? Right, South Korea's first vice foreign minister Cho Hyun Dong, U.S. deputy secretary. Secretary of State Wendy Sherman and Japanese Vice Foreign Minister Takeo Mori got together for their first trilateral meeting of the year in this format and their fifth under the Biden administration. The trilateral bond between South Korea, the U.S. and Japan was a main topic, as was emphasized in a joint press briefing following their discussions. Sherman said that the trilateral uh, relationship between the three remains strong and and it's only getting stronger. Uh, she also mentioned that the alliances are ironclad and our bonds of friendship, quote, are critical to enhancing the security and prosperity of our citizens, the Indo-Pacific and the world. Zhu mentioned that over the past year in particular, the three nations have strengthened their partnership to an unprecedented level and also firmly rooted in shared values, including freedom, democracy, human rights and rule of law. And uh, also he mentioned the Phnom Penh statement on trilateral partnership for the Indo-Pacific, which the three countries' leaders announced three months ago. And based on that commitment, Modi said the three Three officials held frank and strategic discussions and reaffirmed their resolve to further deepen trilateral coordination. And all that unity, cooperation and coordination the three talked about focused a lot on North Korea. Stressing that peace without denuclearization is fake peace, Seoul's vice minister, uh, vice foreign minister renewed his firm stance towards complete denuclearization based on a strengthened Seoul-Washington combined defense posture, as well as enhanced trilateral security cooperation with the U.S. and Japan. While vowing to cut off revenues supporting the North's weapons of mass destruction development, he also mentioned Seoul remains open to dialogue, urging Pyongyang to return to denuclearization talks. Now, in an assessment on North Korea, Japanese Vice Minister uh, referred to the North's intensified nuclear and missile activities, including ballistic missile tests in an unprecedented amount. And uh, the three diplomats also touched uh, touched on uh, issues regarding China, with the U.S. in particular seeking more cooperation on that front. Sherman, in her open remarks, spoke about the challenges posed by Beijing and that the U.S. will, quote, remain aligned with the Republic of Korea, Japan, other allies and partners worldwide to push back on China's behavior that challenges the rules-based regional and international order. 
And the three also reportedly shared the view in maintaining peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Again, I mean, uh, not the first time that we've heard uh, these remarks, especially, you know, pushing for a complete denuclearization of uh, North Korea, uh, trying to urge Pyongyang to come back to the negotiating table. The big question is how they're uh, going to go about doing this. Uh, you can't just make statements and say, well, Pyongyang, come out, uh, come back to the negotiating table. There needs to be some kind of offering on the table for uh, North Korea to come back to the negotiating table, which has been very difficult in the past uh, three plus years now. Uh, and uh, again, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens moving forward because it's going to be ultimately a lot of uh, experts are saying that once North Korea feels that they have complete their uh, nuclear program and they test their seventh nuclear program, uh, nuclear test, and they feel that they have completely finalized their nuclear program, that they're going to be using that as a leverage and say, all right, guys, we have this. And now we're going to hold talks here. Of course, the better option is going to be before they test a seventh nuclear test to offer some kind of, uh, I guess, peace offering uh, and uh, bring North Korea back to the negotiating table before they test a seventh nuclear test. So we'll see what happens here. In the meantime, the vice foreign ministers of South Korea and Japan are also holding talks to discuss ways to resolve the pending issue when it comes to compensation for the Korean victims of Japan's wartime forced labor. Ji, you have more on this. Right. So amid the South Korean government's increasing efforts to end this long-running historical dispute with uh, Japan over uh, restitution to Korean victims forced to work for Japanese companies during World War II, South Korean First Vice Foreign Minister Cho Hyun-dong and his Japanese counterpart Takeo Modi met on Monday in Washington and held a uh, two-and-a-half-hour marathon talk over the issue of wartime forced labor. Now, like Soha earlier mentioned, they were both attending a trilateral meeting with the U.S. Deputy Secretary of State, Wendy Sherman. And while the two sides uh, reportedly focused on third-party payment and Tokyo's sincerity regarding Seoul's proposal to establish a public foundation to manage the whole compensation, uh, Cho said after the meeting that they will continue to hold uh, such discussions and seek common ground, but they haven't re yet reached any conclusion. Now, Seoul had earlier proposed uh, in advance to this meeting, uh, proposed the establishing of a public foundation through which Japanese companies could compensate Korean victims of Japan's war wartime forced labor. And when Cho was asked if there had been any progress in the meeting with his Japanese counterpart, uh, which lasted a lot long longer than scheduled, the vice minister declined to give any details uh, as it's a sensitive issue to both Tokyo and Seoul. And he added that the fact that the meeting lasted longer than expected is not a bad sign, but at the same time, it also means they were unable to reach a con concrete uh, conclusion. And he also added that the matter could be further discussed between the two countries' uh, foreign ministers, Park Jin and Yoshimasa Hayashi, on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference, which is to be held later this week. But the meeting has not yet been confirmed yet. So Joe said in uh, also... He said that he also discussed Seoul's concerns regarding Japan's planned release of radioactive water from the Fukushima nuclear plant into the ocean uh, with his Japanese counterpart. And Cho said he conveyed Seoul's scientific concerns behind this and uh, urged Tokyo to make further efforts to mitigate them. 
And although no specific date has been set for another vice ministerial meeting, uh, the two countries have committed to future bilateral talks and also highlighted the importance of trilateral cooperation with the United States as well. Again, if you are more the optimistic person, uh, you would say that, well, the two sides certainly are uh, talking more. Uh, They're holding more discussions and there's more meetings involved, uh, whether there be a solution or not. Uh, But if you are to be... a bit more pessimistic on this front. I mean, it's difficult for the South Korean side right now because uh, Japan doesn't seem like they're meeting them in the middle right now because the South Korean government needs to do two things at this time. Not only do they need to get an agreement in place where the compensation will pull through, uh, but also, number two, get a some sort of uh, compensation uh, that will fulfill and uh, appease the victims as well. And so when you're having a third party uh, public foundation or a donation foundation, whatever you may call it, that doesn't involve any of the Japanese companies, uh, the consensus right now is that the the victims are not going to be very much happy with this. And I think that's the reason why uh, they're having a hard time right now coming up with this conclusion. There's no real uh, progress at this time. And of course, with the release of the Fukushima nuclear uh, wastewater uh, that is supposed to come as early as March. And I mean, Japan's has been, they're not going to bulge on that uh, on that aspect. And which is why, again, just not Japan not meeting them in the middle is, is, is the big thing here. Uh, back here in Seoul, the government is expected to dispatch a second round of support to the earthquake struck Turkey after discussions tomorrow. This also comes amid President Yoon Zagir's call for maximum help for the brother nation. So uh, let's get more on this. Right. Uh, the government, under the lead of Foreign Minister Park Jin, will discuss the dispatchment of a second round of support to Turkey. Uh, this will be done by the Korea Disaster Relief Team, and the discussions will come tomorrow, so Wednesday. Seoul's Foreign Ministry spokesperson Im Su-sok said today that the council that uh, will be um, discussing the uh, support measures tomorrow will talk about the details on the additional support of relief supplies and also the dispatch of the second relief team. Uh, And uh, let's talk about uh, what the uh, first team had uh, been doing so far. They uh, departed with 118 people. Uh, I think it was one of the largest groups they dispatched for such a um, relief measure abroad. Uh, And uh, they departed on the 7th, and uh, they have started their rescue operations on the 9th, and so far have uh, saved eight people. Uh, And this team is expected to continue their efforts until the 17th. So it's highly likely that the second team will depart around that time, although they haven't uh, given a specific date yet. But what we do know so far that is that on the 16th, that will be two days from now, uh, there will be uh, relief um, tents and uh, also blankets will be sent with uh, via military aircraft. So that will be on Thursday, 150 tents and 2,200 blankets uh, that has been announced earlier. And... Uh, It looks like, though, that the second team will be focusing, uh, their focus will be different from the first team, which is uh, sad because the first team could still 
uh, had higher chances to actually find survivors. Right. So it's more a mm-hmm. search and rescue situation, whereas yes. the second group is more leaning now towards search and recovery yes, now, right? Yes, exactly. And then also they are going to, uh, once they are there, uh, wherever they are needed the most, they are expected to help out. And uh, also this comes amid uh, President Yoon Seok-yeol yesterday having uh, called on more um, help to Turkey, Turkey and uh, he mentioned that uh Turkey is an ally forged in blood and a brother nation. So with that, he's been asking for more medical supplies, more tents and more electric equipment, uh, which is uh, one of the things that uh, the country uh, needs uh, most right now. And he also instructed for uh, government officials that this help will also come after uh, the um, the current response measures, which means also in reconstruction, South Korea should help out uh, Turkey. Uh, So, yeah, so we're expecting uh, at the earliest this week that the second team is going to uh, fly over. For our listeners out there, I guess just a uh, brief uh, history lesson in why this whole blood brother pact exists between uh, South Korea and Turkey is that uh, during the Korean War, the Turkish uh, soldiers who took part in fighting for South Korea, they were amongst some of the bloodiest battles. Mm -hmm. uh, And, uh, you know, they basically did not hold back uh, in assisting South Korea uh, in the Korean War. And so uh, up until today, uh, which is why we have this uh, relations with Turkey. And uh, it is, you know what, you're right. I mean, it, it seems like this second group of rescue workers who are gonna be going there, it is more now leaning towards the search and recovery um, but we still have been hearing news of miracles popping up. Uh, the one recently that I read was after 182 hours mm-hmm. being under the rubble, they still found uh, survivors. So, uh, again, I, I can't stress this enough, and I might sound like a broken record. It's these stories and these news of miracles that should probably motivate and really push these rescue workers to continue to work hard there because all the assistance right now is needed. And I think although time is running out, uh, we are hoping for more miracles there. Uh, Also, in regards to the disaster in Turkey and Syria, uh, South Korea's National Assembly passing a resolution on relief efforts for the quake-ridden countries earlier today. Chi, let's get the details of that. Sure. So the South Korean National Assembly's Foreign Affairs and Unification Committee adopted a resolution on relief efforts for Turkey and uh, Syria at the committee's plenary session convened earlier today. Now, the resolution urged the South Korean government to provide sufficient emergency relief and recovery support for the damages caused by this deadly earthquake. And the resolution also called on measures to ensure the safety of Korean residents, immigrants and students living there, as well as travelers in the event of disasters overseas. Now, today's passage of this resolution comes a week after Kim Tae-ho, who is currently leading the Parliamentary Committee for Foreign Affairs, uh, shared his condolences in a letter to Turkey's uh, National Assembly. And Kim wrote in the letter addressed to the chair of the uh, National Assembly of Turkey Foreign Affairs Committee on the 7th of February that his committee will do its utmost to ensure that the Korean government will be prompt in providing humanitarian assistance. 
And Kim also said in the letter that he hopes that the people of Turkey, whom Koreans regard as brothers and sisters, will quickly recover from the damage. Uh, the resolution passed the Assembly's plenary session with an, an endorsement of 228 of 229 seated lawmakers, and one was an abstention vote. And lawmakers also approved donating 3% of their annual salaries to support the victims of the natural disaster. And earlier this week, uh, President Yoon Song-yeol had ordered the government to uh, maximize the available resources to provide relief supplies for Turkey. And the country has also dispatched a disaster relief team, like Soa earlier said, to help in the rescuing of the quake victims. Just uh, trying to figure out how much 3%. lawmakers get paid and what 3% <laughs> of that is. But uh, that's not important, I guess, uh, the fact that they are willing to donate it uh, is the big thing here. In other news, a South Korean court on Tuesday ruled in favor of two Russian men uh, who had tried to apply for refugee status. We uh, haven't been talking much about uh, the situation in regards to this, but we've talked about it quite a bit uh, last year, uh, towards the end of the last year, a uh, large number of Russians trying to come into Russia, uh, into South Korea, in hopes to dodge the military uh, assignment there, uh, but uh, they were previously denied such. Uh, so uh, let's get the latest on this. Yes. Uh, so maybe some might not be familiar with this story, but there are. Did you know that there were five Russian men that have been literally living at yeah, Incheon yeah. International Airport for four months now? Now these men were seeking asylum in Korea as they fled their country to avoid fighting in Ukraine. While they were first all denied refugee status, according to the Justice Ministry's initial judgment, saying draft evasion, meaning refusing to commit to mandatory military service, does not make you eligible to become a refugee. However, in a ruling this Tuesday, the Incheon District Court granted two of three Russian asylum seekers permission to petition for refugee status and without allowing them to enter the country. The court's decision came on the back of South Korean rights organizations that called on the government to accept the men as refugees, calling them, quote, political refugees who face persecution. However, the court denied the appeal of the third Russian without elaboration. So while hailing the court's consideration, uh, the the other two vowed to prepare an appeal for the third Russian national. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, there are five in total, but the two other men are also in lawsuit processes after having been denied entry. That'll happen later uh, as well. And... Uh, Meanwhile, in Russia, all men up to the age of 60 with no criminal record are eligible for conscription. And according to CNN, which had reported on this story previously, uh, cited families in Russia that say soldiers who refuse to fight are reportedly held in basements in occupied Ukrainian territory and even face desertion. Yeah, and that's the, uh, the interesting part here. In Russia, all men up to the age of 60 and so that's been kind of the criticism in the conscription process when uh, there was a partial mobilization of uh, troops by uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin is that a lot of them are number one untrained. Mm. Uh, a lot of them, there were times where there was like, you know, people in their 50s and uh, nearing, you know, 60 years of age. And so they're saying, I mean, are they just putting up soldiers to kind of. Uh, you know, for them to ship off and die was the big criticism here. Even and some so, of them never had experience no, in the military. No, absolutely not. And so, like, what's the point? Are they just kind of 
you being used as baits uh, was one of the things that was uh, was being mentioned here. So uh, not surprising that a lot of Russians are fearing this and there have been uh, a lot of Russians trying to leave. I believe one of the countries that they were trying to flee to uh, before was Turkey. Uh, and because that's like one of the few countries where I believe they were uh, allowing Russians in without any kind of like visas or something like that. And uh, at the time when this uh, partial mobilization had taken place, like plane tickets from Russia to Turkey was astronomical. And I think I know there's a lot of people uh, aiming to kind of uh, go into uh, South Korea as well, which has been met with this sort of uh, roadblock here. Uh, by the way, very quickly, I just did that simple math of uh, lawmakers, how much they get paid and 3% of that. Uh, they're donating something like uh, 4.6 million uh, Korean won, which is uh, about uh, almost 4,000 US dollars, which is a good chunk. Uh, for the uh, lawmakers there. Uh, let's talk about soaring energy bills. Uh, this, of course, led by gas and electricity, uh, certainly hitting South Korean households once again, as it is the period in which January bills are being announced. Uh, let's get more on this, Chihi. Right. So, by the way, did you guys receive your bills for January yet? So, um, you're, you're not in charge of the bills? Actually, I'm not, but I was ah. interested in how much it is when I saw the she story. She makes <laughs> so much money that whatever goes out automatically, it, it barely puts a dent on her bank account. Whereas no, it's because my husband is in charge of all of that. Barely putting a dent in their bank account, their bank account. And no, no, I'm, it's... But I'm, I'm kind of um, worried because we mm. just got a new um, laundry machine. And we only used to have a laundry machine, but now we have the the, the dryer, dryer too. And it takes so long to dry stuff in there. So I kind of feel that our bills will go up. Yeah, it's about two hours, right? It yeah. dries for about two hours. Yeah, we have that at home. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where <laughs> you just got to use uh, bills. I mean, what did my bills come out to? It's something like 300,000 Korean won, something like that this month. Oh, really? Which is, ours is not bad because... It's not bad. No, mm. because our house, for some reason during the day, it's super hot. Oh, so you don't turn the heating no, on? No, I, I don't whatsoever. Oh. We only turn it on during the, uh, the night time. Did you say 30,000? No, 300,000. Uh, 300, oh, okay. I wish it was 30,000. <laughs> I, I kind of think ours will come out at around 500,000. Oh. Mm. It's because she's balling. No, <laughs> Gee, have you noticed the difference in your uh, oh, bills? Oh, yes, I did. I did. So for December, I was so shocked because it increased by about 50,000 won. And I received my January bill and it increased again by like 20,000 won. Oh, wow. And that's over 200,000 mm. for just myself mm -hmm. anyway so um that's a lot for a I know, single person because if i'm paying, exactly. paying 300 uh, 300,000 for, for three people yeah. oh, that is, that's a lot yeah it is a lot so south korean households are being hit by another round of shocking gas bills like myself and this really has become a hot topic among people as energy prices have led to at least a 50 percent and even up to 100 percent increase in gas bills uh, compared to a year ago and the gas bills for January uh, are expected to be higher. Not everybody has received them yet, and it's the period in which they're receiving it right now. Uh, and this is adding to the burden households already face with rising interest rates and high inflation. And to make things worse, ele electricity bills have also jumped. So this is expected to add to the burden. And many ordinary citizens have been crying at their bills uh, that they have never witnessed before, despite 
using less or the same amount of energy at their homes. And the situation is worse for small business owners, especially for the businesses that require the use of hot water or steam or more electricity, such as public saunas. And uh, they've been driven to the point of closing down due to soaring gas prices. Meanwhile, the government is providing subsidies of up to 592,000 Korean won in heating costs uh, through gas fee discounts for basic livelihood security recipients and also the low-income households. And this support is provided through gas fee discounts for four months from December of last year to March of this year. But then the energy costs in households are expected to inevitably go further up during the summer season as well, because that's when people start using the air conditioners. And uh, so I guess this will be a problem for many households throughout the year. Yeah, air conditioners, that's the other big thing. I mean, because if you remember uh, last summer, uh, they were saying that there was too much electricity being used and there were calling for people to kind of uh, cut ease on on the uh, the electricity and the use of uh, air conditioners. But in the meantime, this is a quite an interesting uh, piece of story that I had a chance to read uh, earlier this morning. South Korea's nuclear power generation reaching an all-time high uh, last year. So let's get the details of this. Right. Nuclear power generation from January to December last year reached 176,054 gigawatt per hour, which is an increase of 11.4% from the previous year. And this, according to a report by KEPCO or the Korea Electric Power Corporation on Tuesday, which said the amount is an all-time high and the proportion of nuclear power generation used was at its highest in six years. Last year was the first time that nuclear power generation exceeded 170,000 gigawatts per hour, which was more than 10,000 gigawatts per hour more than the previous maximum, which was recorded in 2015 at around 164,700 gigawatt per hour. And uh, the proportion of nuclear power also recovered to the level it was before the former Moon Jae-in administration's nuclear phase-out policy. We know that the UN administration uh, is um, backtracking uh, from this yeah, policy. Yeah. Uh, in 29.6% was uh, the uh, percentage last year. Yeah. So almost at 30%. The previous high was 30% in 2016. Uh, and from 2014 to 2016, the 30% level of uh, nuclear power generation was maintained. But then in 2017, 2018, and the uh, the years ahead, uh, the level was at the 20% level. That's when the Moon administration tried to uh, diminish the amount of nuclear power. Uh, on the other hand, last year, power generation using coal and gas was found to have decreased in both amount and proportion. Uh, now, this however, has a different reason as well because an official from the power industry explained last year when energy prices such as coal and gas soared, we were highly dependent on highly economical power sources to minimize factors for raising electricity rates. So uh, it's because of the UN administration's uh, new policy, but also because of the high prices in gas and coal, I believe. Yeah, I think that was the, the big criticism during the uh, the Moon administration. And uh, I was not a big fan of the nuclear phase-out policy. And especially because when you're saying a third of the energy generated in the entire 
entirety of the country is nuclear energy and as you know south korea uses a whole lot of energy here uh, you're going to have to depend a lot on nuclear energy and i've always been a proponent of nuclear energy it's clean uh, it's you know it's it's renewable and uh, i think moving forward here i uh, i do really like the yun administration's push to kind of backtrack and uh, bring back the nuclear energy because i think it's inevitable that when you need that much of energy there, there's no other sources i mean it there's also much that you can do with solar panels there's also much that you could do with wind farms and uh you know the hydro mm. whatever energy stuff it's it's got to be nuclear power at this time but i mean obviously there's other drawbacks of kind of uh, depending too much on nuclear energy but nevertheless uh, you're probably going to continue to see an increase in the dependence on nuclear energy moving forward at least uh during the uh, the current uh, administration let's move on here uh let's talk about banks uh we haven't been big fans of banks these days because of their high interest rates. Well, it turns out that the top four commercial banks in the country provided an average of at least 600 million won of retirement pay or severance pay uh, for those who retired at the end of last year or later. Uh, 600 million won comes out to roughly about 500,000 US dollars. Think about it, half a million dollars uh, for your severance pay here. Uh, this is obviously receiving public criticism as they're saying that the money came from what they're saying is easy profits uh, found the rising interest rates. Ji, let's get the details of this. Right, so four major commercial banks in South Korea, uh, KB Bank, Shinhan, Udi, and Hana Banks posted record-breaking profits in 2022. And this was, like you said, greatly supported by this wide gap in deposit and lending rates following a steady rise in interest rates uh, during the pandemic period. Well, Shinhan Bank led the pack by posting 4.64 trillion won. Uh, that's about 3.6 billion U.S. dollars in net profit last year. And this was followed by uh, KB Kungmin Bank, Woody Bank and Hana Bank. And these banks were quick to raise interest rates for both savings and loans extended to inv individuals and corporate customers as the country's central bank, the Bank of Korea, hiked the benchmark interest rate from 1% to 3.25% over the course of uh, 2022. Now, this helped banks increase their profits on two fronts. So first of all, higher interest rates for savings and related products drew more individual customers uh, seeking alternative investment tools as the stock market of course uh, wasn't in a good shape last year and second of all they gained greater profits from loans because of the rising interest rates but then this relatively easy way of increasing their profit is gaining a lot of criticism especially from the aspect of the bank's business pro uh, practices and public role. So the record-breaking profits uh, let the banks to even give out record high incentives and bonuses to their employees, as well as early retirement packages worth an average of 600 to even 700 million Korean won in line with the huge profits they gained. Uh, but this was all while ordinary people and corporations in other sectors struggled to pay higher interest payments. And so after witnessing this negative public opinion, banks belatedly, they put out a host of uh, voluntary measures, including share buyback uh, plans. 
uh, for shareholders and social responsibility programs for communities. But then the negative sentiment still lingers, especially with the bank's continued cut in the number of employees, as well as the shutdowns of many of the branch offices across the country. But banks claim that this downsizing was inevitable because now digital banking has become mainstream during the pandemic and not many customers actually visit banks. And uh, however, this efficiency oriented business practices of the banks, uh, despite having had a record high profit, are causing inconveniences and thus why receiving criticism, especially for the older people in local communities, because they are not familiar with digital banking yet and prefer visiting banks yeah, for their you, services. You see uh, two types of people that go to the banks these days. Mm. It's uh, the elderly uh, who have a hard time using these Internet banking systems, which, by the way, it's very difficult even for uh, people like me. And number two, people who really like uh, nice, cool places during the summertime because banks are very, very cool. You know, the other criticism is if they're making record profits of these like high interest rates, you would assume if the interest rate goes up that the deposit rate also goes up, but that's not the case as well. So right. when you have money in your bank and they're not giving you an increased interest rate of that and you're going, what? You guys are taking more money off of bar- money that you're borrowing, but the money that we have in your banks, you're not giving similar interest rates. And that's also uh, raised a lot of criticism from the people there. Uh, In the meantime, President Yoon called on his staff to find measures to stop the so-called money party by the banks. So tell us more about this. Yes, President Yoon urged banks to make use of their profits to help the hardships of the people, claiming it's the nature of banks to have a, quote, public good. So it's only appropriate for them to use their profits to help struggling people, namely the self-employed and small business owners. And he also called on banks to build a solid reserve to prepare for future instability in the financial market. The president made these remarks during a meeting with his top aides on Monday, according to Senior Secretary for Press Affairs Kim Moon-hae. Uh, Yoon emphasized people are suffering hugely due to banks' excessively high interest rates. Yoon also made orders to the Financial Services Commission to come up with response measures so that banks... Uh, so-called money party does not lead to a sense of incongruity among the public. So what goes on in money parties that you attend? What? (laughs) (laughs) All all joking aside here. No comment. (laughs) No, uh, but there's been a lot of backlash on the banks here. And right now, uh, so far, you know, the the companies that have been getting a lot of backlash uh, around this time have been banks and also uh, oil companies, right? Mm-hmm. And so what there is, the criticism has been is that during the pandemic when uh, oil prices were at record low levels uh, and banks were not getting a, enough interest because it was at near zo- uh, zero interest, they're saying that now they're trying to make up for their quote-unquote losses. Now, I don't think these oil companies or the banks really made any kind of losses during the uh, the start of the pandemic. So what they're trying to do is sort of make up for the quote-unquote losses by increasing interest rates, by uh, refusing to uh, pump out more oil, which then leads to higher gas prices, higher oil prices. And so they're trying to make up for the. And so who are the people that are suffering from this are basically all of us, right, uh, who are paying high interest rates off of mortgages and, of course, the gas bills and so forth. But uh, the big question is when this is all going to ease, because we're now slowly seeing uh, the, the gas prices, the oil prices kind of go down uh, a bit here and there. And uh, but the interest rate still remains relatively high. 
And uh, the big consensus right now is, at least according to the U.S. Fed, that they're not going to make any rate uh, cuts until next year in 2024. So for the time being, it does seem like we're going to have relatively high uh, interest rates and uh, definitely bad news for all the people that bought all those houses during the, uh, the pandemic there. Nevertheless, guys, as always, thank you very much for your reports today. Have a safe rest of the night, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. See you again. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.